Galatians 1, uh, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Thank you, John. Uh, good morning. Uh, good morning to those of you on Zoom as well. Um, let me pray as we start our time looking at this uh, passage together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that the gospel is good news. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. And we pray that as we look at these words, in your word, you would bring them alive to us. And we pray that this morning you would help us to see just how amazing your grace really is. Please show us the Lord Jesus in all his glory. Amen. <clears throat> I have a question for you as I, as I start. Um, how do you get someone to love and accept you? How do you get someone to love and accept you? Well, I guess the world around says, well, you make yourself more attractive, right? You, you make yourself more lovable, more appealing. Um, for those of us uh, like me who have unfortunate ears, as, um, as, as I've been told, um, that's easier said than done. Um, but how do we get someone to love and accept us? We make ourselves more attractive, more lovable, more appealing. That's what the adverts tell us. That's what Instagram relentlessly bombards us with, picture after picture after picture. Yet with God, it's the other way around. With God, failing, broken people are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. That's what Martin Luther said 500 years ago. 
In other words, God does not love people because they have sorted themselves out. He loves failures. He loves first. And, and that love makes us flourish. And that's what I want to persuade you this morning from this passage. And maybe I should just sit down and let you contemplate that for 20 minutes in silence. At the heart of this letter of Galatians is the question of how we can be made right with God, how we can be accepted by him. The good news that Paul had preached to them and that they had believed was that it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he says how the Lord Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. We're justified, we're made right with God, not through anything we do, but all through what Christ has done for us. And we saw last week how astonished Paul is that the Galatian churches are reversing that true gospel and turning away from it. You bunch of idiots, he says to them in in chapter 3 verse 1. He urges them. You you can't mess with this gospel message. Just like Carl was saying last week. When you you try and get cash out of the hole in the wall and you only know three out of four of your pin numbers, you know what's going to happen, don't you? Don't mess with the gospel. Paul was saying last week. Because it ceases to be the gospel. It ceases to be good news once we change it. It stops being grace and peace from God that gives him glory. Uh, Verses 8 and 9. Remember these, these strong words. Paul says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, double underlined, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So last week we saw him urging them in no uncertain terms not to listen to those who are seeking to distort the good news, but rather to listen to the message that he preached himself. So the question that would have immediately sprung up in their minds for those listening to this letter for the first time is this. Well, why should we listen to you, Paul? Where did you get this message, your gospel? Where, where did you get it from? And in the section that we're looking at today, verses 11 to 24, we're going to see him answer that question. He's going to set out his credentials as an apostle. He's going to make astonishing claims about how he received the gospel. And he's going to prove those claims from from his own story as well. And as we consider his his mini autobiography, I want us to to linger on, on those verses and draw out what it shows us of God's amazing grace. So that's where we're headed this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when we're reading New Testament letters in particular, you get the feeling that you're overhearing one half of a telephone conversation. 
And I think that's the case here as well. So with a bit of detective work, we can deduce the claims that those false teachers would have been making about Paul from the, the statements and the argument and the, and the answers that he gives. So we're going to go through three um, claims that he refutes in this section. First, um, first up, he refutes the idea that he just made up this gospel himself, that it's, that's his, it's his own invention. Have a look at verses 11 to 12. Let's read them again. It's good to read claims that are as astonishing as this. Sometimes we do need to read them again and sort of, what? What's he saying? I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. What a claim. Direct revelation from Jesus Christ. That's where he got his his gospel message. That's what he sets out at the start of of this section. And actually, his own story bears that out too. In verse 13, he says how intensely hostile he was to the church until the moment of his conversion. And there's no way that his message... (laughs) could be the result of his own sort of line of thinking and sitting around mulling over things and kind of he was intensely hostile to the to the church persecuting it and then bam he met Jesus and received the gospel so first of all he refutes the claim that he just made it up himself secondly he refutes the idea that that he heard it from the other apostles and just sort of copied them Have a look at verses 16 and 17. Um, My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went to Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. So he says there's there's no way his message came from from others, particularly the Christian leaders in in Jerusalem, the the other apostles. I did not consult any man, nor did he go up to Jerusalem. He went to Arabia, he says, and we don't exactly know where he went and and what he did during that time. But what he wants to underline here in, in Galatians is that there's no way he could have been taught the gospel from those other apostles in Jerusalem. Actually, his first visit up to Jerusalem was three years after his conversion. And that visit lasted two weeks. And he only met Peter and James while he's there. So to to claim that he'd learned the gospel from those apostles is a bit of a stretch, to say the least. A two-week visit, just seeing a couple of apostles after three years. Um, Sure, there was enough time for some deep conversations with those apostles whilst he was there for those 15 days, but not to absorb the whole counsel of God. So Paul is, is, is wanting to set out clearly that the, his gospel is, is not just a, 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 his twist of a sort of humanly taught message that he heard from other people. And thirdly, he he refutes the idea that his message is different to the rest of the churches. 
it seems some of the false teachers around in these churches were that's what they would have been saying that paul says one thing but the apostles they they say something else his gospel checked out when he visited jerusalem and judea as we see in verses 18 19 and, and onwards and at the end of verse 24 what did what did the, the even though he was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, what was their response? Well, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So it's amazing, isn't it? It's him uh, on his own, in the desert, directly receiving the same gospel that those in Jerusalem had directly received from the Lord Jesus as well. Now, why is this important? Maybe you're, you're thinking. Is he just blowing his own trumpet, being a bit sort of arrogant? And Well, if he'd made up this message himself, then perhaps we could say that. But those in, in the churches in Galatia, distorting the gospel, were challenging the authority of, of Paul's message. Well, that's what Paul thinks. But here's what we think. And what we think is equally as valid as as what Paul says. Perhaps they were saying, well, Paul's message is is fine, but it's incomplete. Here's the bits that are missing from from what, what he was saying. You can imagine that's what those distorting the message were saying in those churches. And actually throughout the centuries... And actually today, that's the same claims people make about the Apostle Paul and, and his gospel. The question of the origin of, of his message, of his gospel, is, is actually pretty important. Remember what he said in verse 11 to 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. See what he's saying? Paul's message is God's message. Rejecting Paul's gospel is rejecting God's gospel. And the stakes just could not be higher. Um, John Stott, in his commentary on Galatians, puts it like this. Are we to accept Paul's account of the origin of his message, supported as it is by solid historical evidence? Or shall we prefer prefer our own theory, although supported by no historical evidence? If Paul was right in asserting that his gospel was not man's but God's, then to reject Paul is to reject God. So that's why he wants to establish his credentials and make it clear where he got this gospel message directly from from the Lord Jesus. But let's move on to to looking and reflecting a bit on on his testimony in verses 13 to 16. And I want us to, to think in particular about just the transforming grace of God that we see in these in these short verses. Have a look, first of all, how he describes his life before becoming a Christian. His, his life before meeting Jesus. 
verse 13 and 14. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. So we get the sense of this, of this man filled with hate, persecution, violence, death, and filled with pride. Zealous for kind of moral righteousness, an expert in the law and traditions, but ultimately not right with God. Look at how he describes how he became a Christian. Verses 15 to 16. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. Do you see what he's saying? It was all God's initiative. He set me apart from birth. He called me by his grace. He revealed his son in me. Notice how the, the pronouns change. When talking, when talking about his old way of life, it's I, I, I. When talking about his conversion, it's he, he, he. God who set me apart from birth. Just in, in, in these two verses, 15 and 16, there are some deeply wonderful, profound truths here. First of all, God who set me apart from birth. This is an extraordinary thing to try and get our heads around. It's, it really is mind-boggling. God's sovereign grace was working in Paul's life long before his conversion. God had been shaping, preparing Paul for the things he would call him to do. Even his rebellion and his failures and his flaws were, were being used by God to, to bring him to the point of conversion on that Damascus road. As he's heading to, 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 to arrest Christians. You can read about that in, in Acts chapter 9. God is at work in his people even before they realise that they are his people. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? For those of us who, who are Christians here this morning... Perhaps we're longing for family or friends or colleagues or neighbours to come to know Jesus themselves. God's sovereign grace is irresistible. He may even be work, at work in them even now. He may have been, been at work in them for, for longer than you can even imagine. So let's get praying for them. Let's, let's expect great things. His grace is irresistible and unstoppable. As you read through the early chapters of the book of Acts, that's, that's what you, you see as the church explodes onto, onto the scene. The sovereign God, sovereignly working, graciously saving. And you just see the early church trying to keep up with what God is doing by his spirit as, uh, as he uh, transforms by his grace. And this is, this is good news for us as we think about 
planting a church in stone there, isn't it? God's sovereign grace is irresistible and unstoppable. So it's God who set me apart, he says, and God called me by his grace. God called me by his grace. As we've noted already, Paul was full of pride, full of hate, profoundly anti-Jesus. Committed heinous violence against his people. And yet, and yet, God still loved him and, and called him to saving faith. Even whilst he was on the road to arrest and kill more Christians... He was saved. Not after he ticked off a a whole long list of moral and religious things he needed to do. Not whilst he'd spent endless hours in some sort of existential angst trying to contemplate his life choices and, and wondering about the meaning of life. No. He's set on destroying the church. He's profoundly anti Jesus. And even then, God called him by his grace. There's no clearer example than Paul that salvation is by grace alone. Not through our moral or or religious performance. By grace alone, by the unmerited, undeserved, free, boundless kindness and love of God. Who doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. But pours out forgiveness, peace, joy, love. Even such a man as Paul was not beyond the reach of God's grace. You and I, here this morning, we're not beyond the reach of of God's grace either. There's nothing that that, that you've done that is so great his love cannot forgive. God's does not love people because they have sorted themselves out. He loves first. So God who set me apart, who called me by his grace, who was pleased to reveal his son in me. Why did God choose and call Paul? Why does he choose anyone? Not because we have pleased him, but simply because he is pleased to do it. Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever thought in in those terms about, about that before? I think there's a danger that we we can slip into relating to God as if we're on some kind of probation. Suspecting that any moment now he's going to haul us back into the jail cell of his disfavour. Well, that is not the picture that we get of our father. He's not some angry head teacher desperate to punish. He knows you right to the very depths of your being. Nothing surprises him about you or I. He sees the depths of your sin. And he loves us. 
how do we how do we know he's for us how do we how do we know that that he loves us well we know because of the lord jesus the lord jesus who who chapter 1 verse 4 gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age we know because of the cross of christ once and for all he he demonstrated to to everyone he 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 is for us he loves us and this is what we need to to chew on the amazing grace of our amazing god this is what we need to chew on to meditate on to remind each other of this is the foundation of of our lives this grace transformed the apostle paul set him on a completely new path and it can do that for us too this is a foundation that is solid and unchanging and eternal no matter what else is going on in our lives whatever else 2023 may may throw at us this is our our life jacket in the storm there is freedom here for us we don't need to try and prove ourselves to other people to ourselves to god even it is finished jesus said on the cross it it is done he has done it all in jesus you are accepted forgiven made complete So let's chew on these these great truths. Let's not turn away from this amazing good news that, that the Apostle Paul preached to that church and that we have in, in our Bibles. Let's fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Well, let me pray. I'm going to read some, some verses from Psalm 103, just as, as we pray. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Heavenly Father, how we thank you that the the gospel is good news. How we thank you that you love us because you love us, that you are pleased to love us, that that you love us first. You know the depths of our sin and yet you still love us. 
You love us so much that you sent your only son to die on the cross in our place. Bearing the punishment that we deserved for our sin, for our rebellion, even though he was innocent. So that we can be called by your grace. Welcomed into a right relationship with you now and for eternity. How we thank you that it doesn't depend on anything that we do. All we contribute is is our sin. And you lavish on us. Grace, forgiveness, peace, eternal life. How we thank you. And and we pray that you would help us to, to marvel at your amazing love. And we pray that you would transform us by it. Amen.